Welcome, welcome, one and all, to the Fall Out Podcast episode na 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 nineteen. Uh, normally, this would be a full-on showdown to the bloody death, but this week we're taking a little bit of a more relaxed tour down memory lane, looking at circa eighty-two to eighty-four. So we will be looking at the albums Hex Induction Hour, what you all know and what you've got, Room to Live, Perverted by Bloody Language, and Only the Wonderful and Frightening World of the Fall. What says you for yourselves this evening, chaps? Phil Rigby, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Brendan. I've been uh, mostly listening to The Fall this week. There's a lot to listen to, isn't there? Um, Are you looking forward to this trek? Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a roller coaster ride, isn't it? It's, we uh, do some big and heavy hitters. And you're nervous in case you say wrong stuff, aren't you? I'm, all, I'm always nervous. I was born afraid. Yeah, but so far you haven't put a foot wrong, so you know, no pressure to know. Uh, Ezra, how are you? Very well, thank you. Yep, like uh, like Phil, I've been um, listening mostly to the fall this week. I did have a bit of a break to listen to quite a bit of Lee Perry as well because I've always been very fond of Lee Perry and I was quite sad to hear of his passing. Rest in peace. He's gone to the great black arc in the sky. Indeed. Alistair Aspinall, how are you? Uh, Radiant, sir, Radiant. I also have mostly been listening to the fallen Lee Scratch Perry this week. also heard that Johnny Welly's died. He's a bit of a legend since then. Sad loss. Oh. Uh, you know, it did look a little bit like LSP. Well, let's hope they're all having a big old party up in the sky with that fella at the Rolling Stones and one of the Everly brothers. Previously, on our last special, we listened to the first four LPs, Witch Trials, Dragnet, Grotesque and Slate. Slate is not an album, it's an EP, whatever, counting it. So what we've seen is Brahma at Friel Bain's Mez started... Freeland Baines went by the wayside. Witch Trials comes out. Riley comes on board. Dragnet. Oh, Lord, what a great record. Lo-fi narrative tales. Mike Lee came from the cabaret scene to fill in for a little bit. Then Grotesque. Mayo Thompson. Only out the bloody red Crayola, but it didn't really make any difference. Great band, though. Hanley P. Scanlon. Hanley S. Riley. M.E.S. First classic lineup. Some people might say second. Some people might not say anything. They might not know what they're talking about. Slates, tight and fierce. So the first album we're going to talk about today is Hex Induction Hour from March 1982. You've probably heard of this one. Now, I played this to my nan, God rest her soul, to my son and to the butcher. And uh, they all said it was shite, just shouting, pretty much a waste of time. What do you make of this album? Phil Rigby. <laughs> so in preparation for I thought you might ask me this today actually do you want me to tell you who yeah. played on the album go for it Marky Smith vocals Steve Hanley bass guitar Mark Riley organ and uh, guitar Craig Scanlon guitar Paul Hanley drums Carl Burns drums two drum lineup and uh, produced by a man named uh, Richard Mazda not the car he's a man Anyway, what do you make of it? So, well, this is it now, isn't it? This is this is the big album. This is the uh, the Peppers of of the lot of them. If you uh, if you buy into the kind of collective wisdom around the fall, I do, and the uh, that kind of battered dead horse of a metaphor. But I, I think it's it's a usable one in in this context. Re-listening to it over this week, I, I found myself just 
making notes of all the song titles. I just kept writing the song titles out again and again and again. And it's like, it, it just doesn't seem to put a foot wrong. The album at all, everything is kind of, all the stuff that we love from, about the sound so far, it feels really kind of well thought out. Everything is so kind of intricately placed um, together in the rearrangement. There's loads of ideas. You can't move for ideas going on both musically and lyrically and sort of performance-wise and stuff. And I think, understandably, it's that's that's kind of why it's become a bit of a fan favourite and the, the thing that the critics all point to has been, yes, that was the high point. Even sort of like... Um, Massive fans of the fall, people like Mark Fisher, and that point to sort of hex induction areas, the pinnacle of, of what they do. And it's a brilliant album. It's a really brilliant album to listen to. It's it's a band that has been together, a sort of a, a gang, if you like, that's been together long enough. They all know what they're there to do. They all know what they're bringing to the table. They can, they all anticipate what every other person's going to do. And it's just a, a beautiful exercise in musicians and performers who've gigged hard and are a tight-knit unit, um, know exactly what it is that they want to do and, and do it excellently. It's a real virtuoso recording. I think you're right in saying they don't put a foot wrong because I, I don't think the snarky humour is as apparent and the, narr- the weird narratives, I think it's kind of not well-behaved so much. And there is some funny stuff on there, but there's nothing like Jay Temperance and there's no skits. It's just straight down the line, well-behaved post-punk songwriting, you know, the classical... <laughs> hit priest who makes the nazis whatever you want every single song on there it could stand alone and can stand a part of the album and it feels with the with the monochrome nature of all the songs it's not a, a very uh, baroque in terms of instrumentation the package of the the uh, very iconic cover is the only fall album that really has a concept even though the concept is loose of it being an hour of kind of spooky stuff but it's enough to hold it all together i was just going to add, add to that because of some of the song titles that you mentioned but there's there's a real energy and magic about the album hit priest i, I found myself listening to a couple of times on the re-listens and there's something bigger than the sum of its parts that they managed to capture in some of those songs as well so i mean there's a lot to say isn't there Ezra, what's your yeah take? well um you know obviously i'm easily accused of bias here because it was pretty much the first full thing that I heard and owned. But I think that if you're going to judge albums on how many times you listen to them and how many times you return to them, and I can't really think of a better metric for judging an album's worth, yourself at least, then uh, Hex Induction Hour is going to be my favourite album of all time because I first picked it up, I think, in my late, mid-late teens, and I'm still listening to it now in my early 40s. I think it's pretty flawless. It's got this great barreling kind of first side, which just constantly bashes you with these just monolithic juggernauts of sound. You know, so the first thing I heard by The Fall was the classical. You know, I remember first listening to it and thinking... That's really interesting. There's like four people having some kind of conversation or an argument and they're just talking and then there's this big band sound going on in the background. I'm not sure what I should make of that. And yeah, and that goes on through the whole of the, the first side and then we kind of get into winter, which is like everything else, utterly unbeatable. And then on the second side, it gets into slightly kind of stranger territory and slowly kind of degrades and degrades into more unpredictable weirdness until you have the finale 
and this day, which is like one of, I think it took me a few years to actually get to the end of that track. I was doing some research. Actually, I was reading about the live album Fall in a Hole. And one of the guys who was behind the recording of that, a New Zealand fella, he was saying, you know, like, we all loved the fall back in the day, but it was the singles that were great because they were just quick, like kind of punk blasts of energy and they were wonderful. But the albums, they were like unsliced loaves of bread. It was just too much. And reading it, I was thinking, that's kind of stupid because isn't that kind of what you want from an album is something a bit dense and something that's a bit more than the sugar rush of a great single, you know, like, but anyways, so yeah, you know, I've, I've got no complaints with this album whatsoever. Absolutely. So I think the fellow you're talking about is Chris Knox, who run flying nun records and they were known for their like really great punky kind of singlesy stuff and um smith basically almost bankrupted the label because some uh, import versions started coming to britain and uh, he basically wanted a stack of money again i don't know how true that story is but uh, wikipedia says about this album abrasive northern aesthetic built in part from 20th century literary traditions of kitchen sink realism and magic realism. And who am, I, who am I to argue? Although that could be said about any one of the albums so far. A deliberate reaction to contemporary music scene, a stand against Elvis Costello and Spandar Bali. Alistair sitting patiently, patiently with, with absolute magic ready to bring to the table. What's your take on Hex Induction Hour? Well, I mentioned in the bunker this week, it's the only LP that I own that has made me bleed. I had a copy of it, kind of thought I'd lost it, probably lent it to someone, I haven't seen it for years, so I owe myself a new one. Shrink wrap, not trying to open it up, and a nice little paper cuts. Blood like a motherfucker. Um, but it's one that I've uh, been aware of again since it, well, since I was a teenager. Uh, it's one that I used to get played a hell of a lot on my cassettes that I used to sort of uh, play on my Walkman back in the day, trudging around Sunny Wigan. Very, very familiar with it. And it is just a really, really great album. Mm. We heard, you, we heard you say you cut your finger and then it was a great album and that was it. Well, yeah, that's all you need to know. One of those LPs that I've, just, uh, I've listened to over and over again, over many years. It's a really varied LP. You know, you've got some like real fast bits in there, like the jaw blown on the air rifle. Then you've got like the, you know, the beautiful sort of velvety kind of groove that you've got to winter, which is an amazing tune. And, you know, like Iceland on the, you know, I mean, that stands out on its own. It's just very different sounding from the rest of the LP. It's just such a varied LP. It's, it's great. Not one bad song on it. Agreed. And um, we talked a lot about Iceland, the song, when it came up on the show a little while ago. And of course, they recorded three tracks uh, over in Iceland and the rest they did in a, in a theatre. So I think, uh, according to Paul Hanley's book, you know, some of the songs were recorded like almost live, set up on the stage of the, of the theatre that had been converted into a studio. And then they did some up in the kind of control room. What do you make of that, that cover? It is iconic and uh, it's splendid. It's there's a lot of information on there. <laughs> it looms live in the whole fall thing, doesn't it? Because it's because it is so iconic. I refer the honourable member to my previous answer about half baked because it's it's got that. It looks like the back of a pub toilet door, doesn't it? 
Although I haven't seen heard this particularly noted, and I, I know they weren't Stones fans, but there's the the Rolling Stones album a Beggar's Banquet, right, where you get the wall of the toilet with everything scrawled on it. And then we've talked about the Wyndham Lewis blast that it's a bit of a, an ode or a rip to that uh, chummy lifestyle. Have a bleeding guess. Six smoked here. It is a little peep into the mind of MES. Uh, let's not even mention the apocryphal Motown story, and let's move straight on. I've lined up some clips that we might play in between each album. This is a this is an interview that often pops up on um, on the YouTube's. Read over there that they that one fellow said that you are still angry and you're the last group in England to be still angry. Would you go along with that statement? Yeah, I think we're the only group that's actually uh, upset about certain things. So you, you're, you're speaking your mind through your music. Yeah, I get I get worse. Yeah. <laughs> what are some of the things that you're upset about? Obviously, the unemployment thing over there is, is rotten at the moment. No, it's nothing like that. Don't be sad, don't worry. Are there areas? political or anything like that. Uh-huh. No, it's just a music uh, industry over there. Yeah, well, I've also seen some of the crits that weren't overly nice. Like, uh, yeah. one of the guys that was in a well-known band years ago said he thought your record was awful, and other people have said... Jeff yeah, Beck. Not, yeah, Jeff Beck was in one of those... Uh, well, you can talk, though, can't you? I mean, good. So what do you what do you think when they, people like that say those sort of? Things? It's good. That's what it's for to get the backs up of people like that, really. You know. Matt Riley just looks incredibly tense, though, doesn't he? He just looks he just looks nervous. He looks incredibly nervous, and he was on his way out. He didn't last much long after this, did he? His fists were clenched for the entire interview. <laughs> All right. So moving on. Later the same year, Room to Live. Subtitled The Undilutable Slang Truth came out. Same lineup Smith, Hanley, Scanlon, Burns, Hanley, and Riley. Produced this time by Kay Carroll, apparently. They've got longer songs, they're five, six minutes. The snark and satire is back, and there's a bit more up tempo to it. Ezra, what's your, what's your take on Room to Live, the quickie follow up? Well, yeah, um, I never really, I've only recently come to um, listen to this all the way through and it's got a terrible reputation as being something they just well mainly maybe Marky Smith slapped together on the quick to make a few extra books off the back of Hex Induction Hour but having listened to it from beginning to end I think it's really great I can understand that you know if you were a full fan at the time and they'd just released Hex Induction Hour I for one would certainly be I would certainly have high expectations of whatever it was that was going to come next. So I can understand why this might feel like a letdown. But it's it's really great. And it's very funny. It's got some great funny lyrics in it. I really am a big fan of the song Papal Visit, which is probably one of the songs that got it the bad reviews. The copy I've been listening to also includes Fantastic Life, which it seems wasn't on the original. Yeah, I, I think it's absolutely top-notch. Well, around this time, they also released The Man Whose Head Expanded and Kicker Conspiracy, like in between mm. the, you know. Yeah, I think rather than it being a, a, the the quick follow-up to kind of capitalise on Hex, it's been described as him 
deliberately sabotaging any uh, fans that they may have gained through that by uh, putting out something so quick and oblique. Apparently, they entered the studio to record a single, but Smith eked out an album by inviting different people on different days to play on songs that they'd never rehearsed before or uh, even heard in many cases um so it's very unclear at times who is actually playing on any track <laughs> or who wrote it alistair what's your take on the, the maligned room to live it's very unfair that it is maligned Bren. again i think it's, it's it's a different lp from hex uh, definitely but it's a, again it's a gift that keeps on giving it and it's put out two like really strong pieces of music that are quite different in such a short period of time, it's pretty remarkable. But yeah, there are some really great songs on there. And like, as we mentioned, Purple Visit, it's, it's amazing. That's something that kind of like sublime frequencies might put out. Um, and it'd be, you know, like some you know field recording from Nepal or something like that. But yeah, there, there's some absolute corkers on there. But it's, it, it sounds quite different to, to Hex. Um, there's bits on it that remind me a bit of Beefheart. There's some like really bleak sounding raw stuff like uh, Hard Life in the Country. Room to Live reminds me a bit of Container Drivers, which is taking you know a bit of a, a retro glance. Uh, it also reminds me a bit of Country Teasers. Uh, and then you've got like stuff that sounds soundtracky like De- Detective Instinct. Uh, I do think it's, it's a tragedy if it is a maligned LP. I think one thing that we've talked a bit of the bunker this week is that we can see how the band changed over the course of these four albums but it's actually very very hard to pin down exactly what that change was do you, how do you see this as different to hex well it sounds well it is rushed it, it does sound rushed it doesn't sound quite as polished well i think hex is more intricate in the arrangements uh, there's a lot more going on in the structures that you know they, they sound like they've had more time to think them through and to sort of, uh, you know, tweak here and there. We think, um, you know, if they spent another couple of months rehearsing Room to Live, it would have sounded a lot different again, but it's one of those things where, you know, it's Smith, you know, cutting off his nose to spite his first. Some of the stuff I've read is also people looking back, and I think, again, Paul Hanley was saying this in his book, it, it, um, it, it was a good thing in the long term for the growth of the band that they got over that, that expectation very quickly it's like okay we've got this monolith this great album that's really well received let's put out a piece of shit like three months later and then you know then take it from there i mean it wasn't intentional and it's certainly got some fantastic songs on but it was uh it wasn't for a long time it seems like it wasn't thought of as much at all it's not a shiny commercial pop album is it no, it's not going to sell as well in the HMVs. Slapped together and half-baked, rough around the edges, or the sound of the band at its most spontaneous, frustratingly sketchy, is what some random journalist said on Wikipedia. And surely their opinions are what we should be listening to. Phil, what do you think? Well... <clears throat> I think describing it as a piece of shit is a bit harsh. Um, That's what my nan said. I'm just, I'm just quoting her, Phil. <laughs> she did not um, think Papal Visit was, was a... So she uh, did not think it would have been on a Sublime Frequencies compilation, Alistair. She said it sounded like a man who was on the toilet. <laughs> well, I can, I can see that that's the So um, there's a couple of words that have been mentioned, which, it, which uh, 
you said hex induction error isn't that baroque. I think I'd push back on that. I, I would describe it as baroque in, in a way that the other albums are. I think it's really rich and there's loads of stuff that, in a very different way, it rewards re-listening to because there's lots going on with it. And um, I think Al's use of the word intricate is is also a really good touch point as well because I, I think what we're seeing over these albums... My sort of, the, I, I did struggle this week a little bit, kind of corralling my thoughts around this, just because they refuse to be kind of pigeonholed, don't they? It's like, there's no easy way of describing the way that these albums develop. Um, B-Fart is a good reference for this album. To, to my mind, the Troutmash replica kind of experience for the Magic Band is, is very similar to A Room to Live came about. And, and yes, yeah, sab- that word sabotage comes up all the time as well, doesn't it? It's more, I, I think sabotage is misleading. I think it's it's more that artistic choice that I think all of us are, are probably very aware of in terms of the aesthetic of uh, shambolic arrangements and and also that uh, idea of, oh, you, you like that, did you? Well, let's see if you like this. Challenging the audience, not making it easy on them. You know, these are, these are all standard, or what we've come to know and love is standard kind of fall attitudes and approaches. And Room to Live, it's a it's a it's a it's a harder album to get into, but it 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 definitely deserves it. All the, the songs are solid on it, um, and it might be a bit looser on the edges, and it might be a very different kind of experience to Hex, but it's it's worthy of exactly the same amount of love, I think. I think the story that we're telling today is how a bunch of snarky manks learns to love rock because I think that's where they go. I, I think they don't change shape as much as just open up new bits of territory for themselves where they, they allow themselves to kind of actually um, encroach into other musical genres but to do it in a way that they feel comfortable with. But yeah, more on that as we go. Yeah. Are you saying they were always the same but always different? Is that what, is that what you're saying? What right way of putting it, Brendan. I've never heard it put that way before. I tell you what, we've got a, another friend, an invisible friend, who last time we did this, uh, we ended up forgetting all the things he'd said and me having to go back and edit them all in uh, laboriously later. So why don't we, what does Peel think of this? Well, I, I think that just goes against the spirit of the fall, Brendan. I think we should try and make it as hard and as difficult as possible for us. <laughs> However, I will humour you this time and uh, see what he's wrapped through the furniture. Room to Live, I think, suffers from being released only a few months after Hex and being far more distant and contemptuous. Almost a fuck you for the positive response. I'm listening to it now and I can confidently say I'd rather listen to it than Hex. Why exactly? I'm not sure. Interesting. And, and while we're on Hex, what does he think of that album? Um, he was just nodding along with what we were saying, really. He uh, refused to get involved in it as a debate. He did, didn't he? I think he I think he secretly likes it, but he's too cool to admit it. Too cool for school, he's our invisible he is, isn't he? Now this is not an art this is not an art show. But I'm going to spend just a couple of minutes talking about the covers as we go through. Because I don't know if you know this, lads, but I am actually qualified art. And so I can talk about this stuff. But I still, I'm still interested in what you laymen think. I think this slapped together nature of this cover is as good in its own way as heck. And actually does represent, this is, and I guess I'm projecting a little bit, the monochrome nature of hex. 
versus the more colorful kind of variant of Room to Live, which does a lot of the same things, but has some nice family photos and a little bit of collage, a little bit of color. In, in many ways, kind of represents the difference for me. Any comments from you amateurs about this this image? I won't judge you. Yeah, that's quite like it. I really like it. Like some of the, the photographs on there, like all blurred and you know, sort of. It's really not, you know, a professional job, and it's it's a deliberate thing, you know, just to kind of like sabotage it or just to sort of promote their own kind of aesthetic. You know, it's life isn't always polished. You know, things are always airbrushed nowadays. It's even worse. Like, but uh, back in the day, you wouldn't have found um, photographs like that on a Michael Jackson LP. I don't think. Oh, he would have been semi-naked with a, with a baby lion. Oh, yeah. Hopefully at least one, you know. How about you, chaps? Anything to throw in? Any tuppences to throw in? All full album sleeves are works of art, especially around this period, I've got to say. As, um, you know, someone who likes drawing myself, I especially love drawing with cheap pens and biros, I often keep some which are on the verge of running out when I'm going to do something like, for example, um, an event flyer, because I know that if it runs out in the middle of that, as it seems to have done on Room to Live, Undilutable Slang Truth, you're going to get a nice effect. Very well noticed. I didn't uh, copy that off the fall, so the spirit of Marky Smith can... Get back to resting in peace. No one's accusing you of anything here, Ezra. Good, good. I just don't want to upset the uh, the undead. That's all. Okay. Well, it is a good idea. It's a nice effect, though, living on the very edge with those biros. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's real. That's that's real art. (laughs) Good work. That that was enough to see Alistair off. Good, thankfully. So. Why don't you play us another clip of something, Phil, before we move on to the next LP, 1983's Perverted by a Language. I mean, I don't sort of uh, socialise with the rest of the members. Why is that? Because I don't think it's very healthy. Because I, uh, in my sort of uh, dreamlike world, I sort of see myself as a writer, and the fall is a very good vehicle, and it's the only vehicle for me to do it. Because you've been inconvenienced, you can just take a track of ours and put it on your video. I do too. Yeah, ooh. Give me a name then. Well, give me a name then. Well, I've already paid for that. It's already been taken off my royalties. I've already paid for it. What do you mean you want some money? What are you talking about? You're pirating my bloody stuff, Tony. What are you talking about? I'll pay for your equipment. <laughs> okay, Carol channeling Peter Grant. Uh... Exactly. See, um, we talk a lot about... Um, the small business kind of thing. But if you read anything about that era, it, it seems like Kay, Carol and, and Mark were just full on pushing the band and getting in people's faces and just making it happen. And um, good on them. That's all I can say. You have to, don't you? When you're starting out, that's, that's, that's part of the game. You're raising your profile and making sure that people don't take the piss when it comes to money. Hustle and flow, innit? Perverted by language. December. 1983, released on the Rough Trade label, they went back. Smith, Hanley S, Hanley P, Craig Scanlon, Carl Burns, and now a young lady named Bricks Smith. Not her real name. Just shows up on one track. I've I, This is a garden. He's a fitter smile and then wings and kick a conspiracy around the same era. 
Again, I've said even longer, the tracks here are six to eight minutes, and even more abstract, lyrically, uh, kind of bleak again, and uh, kind of a similar tempo to Hex all the way through, no, not too many of the up-tempo things that we found on, uh, on Room to Live. Ezra, what do you, uh, what do you make of Perverted by Language as a collection? Well, you know, I mean, listening through to all four albums, as I did this week, this album struck me as the weakest. And, you know, it gets a lot of praise. To be fair, it's got some really fucking blinding songs on it, especially the first tracks on either side, uh, Eat Yourself Fitter and Smile are extremely great. Garden is definitely arguably one of my favourite fall songs of all time. But as with quite a few of the other tracks on it, I think there are better versions elsewhere. It's a strong album, and I would say it's probably maybe more of a kind with Dragnet in terms of its grimness. I think it's quite grim and gothic and bleak. Yeah, you know, I, actually, I would say Room to Live is <laughs> a better put together piece of work than this. Interesting. Yeah, Phil? I kind of get that, yeah. It, it doesn't gel together the same as, as the other albums. You were you were taking this earlier on this week, Ben, weren't you, with... Uh, Oh, it's you can pick a match, and you know, would there be any different as albums? And I, I think there's a there's a coherence to Hex, and there's a coherence to Room to Live, possibly because it was all done in the the same sessions. So they've they've got that feel, but it ties together in Hex, and it, it feels the same in Room to Live. But this, it, it feels more like individual moving parts rather than rather than a whole album. And I think my other takeaway from this is it it does feel like. That intricacy disappears because you've not got the same double active guitarists that have been together. And us guitarists do like to kind of show off the longer we are together in terms of those intricate guitar pieces and call and response and, and harmonising over the top with very different kind of um, playing styles and that type of thing. That drops off. They're about to make a step into new territory, I think. It's, that's what it feels like. It's the foot's raised, but it's not kind of hit the ground yet and they're not quite sure where they're going to put the foot. Um, I, I love these songs. I think that the songs are amazing on, on the album, but it's I think that uncertainty kind of haunts it a little bit. And I also think it's it's like they feel like some of that's come to an end. There's there's sort of furrows that they've been plowing, which they've essentially invented and innovated themselves from from their own influences. But they kind of come to an end with some of that stuff. Some of the uh, perhaps more oblique modernist kind of approaches of, of Scanlon that it, it'd been exploring seemed to kind of be relaxing more into perhaps more established genres but with the confidence that they've got of yeah we we've proved that we can invent stuff and now we're going to kind of reinvent things. For me it feels like a series of poems almost that, that have been given backing tracks and all those backing tracks are often great and they just throw in the occasional single word chorus like smile or whatever uh, the album itself without things like kick a conspiracy i mean you got yourself it's for sure but they do feel like long form poems almost that have been given kind of fairly simple yeah backing tracks and they kind of that gothic feel that monochrome kind of feel it works really well if you're in the mood to just put it on and just let it unfold in front of you. But if you're looking for highs and lows, if you're looking for a Maki Chacha or a hip priest or something like that, it's just not on there. And um, yeah, I think it, it requires 
Patience and Smith is it's Smith's album. I think nobody else really shines on it. And while it's hard to say exactly what they lost with Riley, he's definitely not there. And Bricks hasn't turned up yet to, to take him into the next kind of era. So in, in retrospect, I do get that it, it is kind of the end of an era. And I kind of wonder where they'd go had Bricks not shown up because both Hanley brothers did leave and Steve came back, but uh, Paul didn't. And so big, big changes were in the air. It was a chaotic time. And I think, yeah, only Smith comes out of this album looking good. But even he has not got any of his on-point narrative. There's no snarky humour. There's no folk horror tales. It really is just a bunch of abstract poems. Oh, Garden, you know, maybe has some kind of narrative threads. I love it as an album. There's something theatrical about Smile, which is is quite an interesting track in its own right, really. But I, I love the fact that he seems to have this gothic Noel Coward kind of expression on his face whilst he's, he does the opening, like this kind of fake smile that he seems to be singing through. And I, I, I really like that. But all of the, going back to what Al said before about intri- intricacy in the arrangements, that seems to have disappeared. The intricacy seems to have gone. Alistair, what do you reckon to what do you reckon to the perverted by language LP? I bloody love it. That's what I reckon. Um, again, the one I knew you would. I knew you would. I was saying to the, the lads, Al's not here right now, but I bet he bloody loves this record. No, you won't. You were calling me a bastard, like you normally do. Um, <laughs> definitely, in, I think Hex and Perverted are my two favourite Fall LPs. It might be because of the amount of times that it's been listened Hello. to. Hello. But yeah, it's so many great songs on there. Eat Yourself Fitter, you know, complete bludgeoning of a song. It's so like anti-pop. Apparently it's about serial, you know, it's that kind of thing that is funny. Uh, it amuses me. That's how you kind of like rise above a lot of other bands that they do have that sense of humour. Um, even if it is a bit sort of an acquired taste. Yeah, like I said, so many great songs at Garden. I think it's just absolutely delightful. Neighbourhood of Infinity just kicks ass. And it's so different from Eat Yourself Fitter. Smile is just the, the screaming on that. Bloody great. Grooves on things like I Feel Voxish. And you get like a real kind of like spaced out sound to it as well. But yeah, it's just the fall, brilliant era, brilliant lineup, brilliant songs. Um, in other news, what does John Peel... Like John Peel, think of the album Perverted by Language by The Fall. Well, thanks for asking, Brendan. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll just <laughs> see what he's tapped out here. Perverted by Language is peak fall as an album. There isn't a wasted second. It captures malevolent entities in its groves. Sometimes I dream that they made a double album with backdrop, words of expectation, <clears throat> an updated new Puritan, and some other jewels they had been playing in those years that never made the cut. Indeed, it could have been a huge monolith, and I wonder if, if that had been the case, whether it would have got a little bit more kudos, because, yeah, it makes its case, doesn't it? And around this time, they were given a bit of cash to make a video, but decided to make an hour-long film, quote-unquote. The, the video of Freak Yourself Fitter kind of making me feel nauseous. I think they're like sort of more surrealist references, aren't they? And then the rest of it is more of a document. Uh, I suspect that the elements that made me feel queasy were where most of the actual cash went. 
in terms of uh, making that production. And they headed down to, was it Burnley's ground or whatever, did kick a conspiracy and then they're in the pub for wings and... Um... It ain't cinematic, but it is, a, it is a very interesting documentary of that era. I feel the other thought that I have is just how William Burroughs, the title is of the of the album, and the fact that it's... I, I, I don't think I'd realised before we started doing this whole project how much of an influence he, he had on the band in, in terms of not just the lyrical kind of approach, but just the attitude and the the tape recordings and all, all this kind of stuff comes to a high point with this album and then they start to move away from it. It's almost like the end of the art for the Capital Air band and, uh, and moving much more towards a, um, dare I say, commercial viability. Yeah, definitely. I would say that Burroughs has an enormous influence on the fall. And I think one sign of that is the fact that Marky Smith never mentions that he had a big influence on the fall. He doesn't talk very much about uh, about William Burroughs at all. But one thing that I have seen of him talking uh, on Burroughs is that his best kind of interaction with his work came when he saw Burroughs performing the work, reading the work live. He talks about how the um, you know the impact of the voice and Burroughs' performance of the voice really changed his perception of the work. It's interesting because you can hear that a lot with his own stuff. Uh, and it's possibly why he preferred, you know, performing this over, you know, having it written out and presented in the form of poems or lyrics or whatever. Uh, one thing I have been enjoying with Perverted by Language and it's a small thing, but every time I come back to the Hexenauer strife knot, it's just the way he kind of says the lyric, the journey takes an hour. It's so, so banal, but just the weight of it in the context of, you know, this hungover office fucker going to, like, you know, rape his soul for money at work, it, it's just perfect. And, you know, I think that's all a part of it to me anyway. While we're on that, then, I guess, what do you make of the title Perverted by a Language? Not, not perverted language itself. He is perverted by a language. We are perverted by a language. You've got an, a, a painting on the front of a, uh, of a, a drunkard and a, a, a businessman, penthouse and pavement style industrial terror. Does any of that mean anything? I think in terms of what the title of the album's getting at is, is that word virus idea, the fact that this, the corruption comes from the, the language that we use, which I think kind of aligns with pretty much everything that Smithy did. Yeah, the idea of language as a virus, the idea of memes, which was in the air at the time via Dawkins and, and his ilk. And shall we move on? Shall we hear, hear another clip? This is a particularly fun one. Is this the Marky e. Smith Guide to Writing Guide? So it's a hell of a ride. Mark E. Smith, and this is the Mark E. Smith Guide to Writing Guide. Day by day breakdown. Day one, hang around house all day writing bits of useless information on bits of paper. Day two, decide lack of inspiration due to too much isolation and non-fraternization. Go to pub, have drinks. Day three, get up and go to pub. Hold on in there as style is on its way. Through sheer boredom and drunkenness, talk to people in pub. Day four. By now, people in the pub should be continually getting on your nerves. 
Write things about them on backs of beer mats. Day five. Go to pub. This is where true penmanship stamina comes into its own. As by now, guilt, drunkenness, the people in the pub, and the fact you're one of them should combine to enable you to write out of sheer vexation. To write out of sheer vexation. Day six. If possible, stay home and write. If not, go to pub. Using this method, this is a poem I wrote called London. I just got over to London. Get me a pint of your fine old British ale. London. Decadent backbone of former empire. Spittle-chin southerner looking forward to next holiday. Digital Croydon. £14 per hour. An immigration backlash type situation here. I love the way he he starts reading the poem about London in the most ridiculous flippant way and then on a, on a sixpence switches into his Blake-esque serious poet mode. All in all, a, a delightful uh, trek into the mind of Smith. Which brings us on to LP7, if you don't count Slate, which is the wonderful and frightening world of the fall, 1984, Burns on drums, Paul Hanley on drums for a bit, Steve Hanley, bass guitar, Craig Scanlon, Marky Smith, and Bricks, who is on all of the songs this time around and really makes her presence known. And also production from John Leckie and then Gavin Bloody Friday, uh, dribbling his shite all over several tracks. Bricks era, John Leckie era, Lay of the Land, Disney's Dream, Slang King. We're back to short three, four minute songs layered upbeat, poetic, but not narrative and satirical quite so much. Yeah, Alistair, what's your take on the wonderful and frightening world of the fall? I quite like the old piece one. It's kind of grown on me over the years. I didn't like it too much to start off with. I preferred the more harsh and stuff. And it is very polished and very poppy at times, but, you know, there's some great ones on there. I think the production does let it down a bit. Um, was it on the tube where they did lay of the land? I thought it was old grey whistle test. Sorry, two by four. That's what I mean, two by four. Getting, getting yeah, they did together. two by four. I think that was on the tube. Yeah, it, it, like that kicks ass. The sound on that, the live sound, uh, compared to the sound that you've got with the Lecky production, uh, it does make it sound a bit thin. But there's some great tunes on there. Lay of the land's quite fun. And yeah, it's one where they started sort of working with the dancers. But yeah, you've got Bug Day on there. Which is, you, you, can't, you can't complain about that. Lecky said, and on the recording sessions, Mark would have a can of special brew, vodka, and a line of speed going at 11 in the morning just to start the day. Sinister rockabilly with swirling guitars. Um, I don't know how true that is, but uh, you can believe it, can't you? Phil, what do you reckon? It's, there's, uh, there's some different stuff going on here. I think there's, there's the two things that really jumped out at me this week about this album that I, I, I think are, are worth mentioning uh, in this kind of story that we're telling is the rock thing that I, I mentioned earlier on. I, I think Elves is the real turning point on this album for me because it's, I know it's the Stooges, I know it's, I know it's kind of that thing, but it doesn't sound like the Stooges. What they always ripped off from the Stooges before, it does sound a bit like Stooges, but what, what they ripped off before is that it's the, it's the kind of one note piano thing in the background, isn't it? It's that intensity of sound, it's like the really visceral kind of performance type stuff. Elves isn't really like that. 
Elves is much more laid back than that. It's the same riff, but they play it in a really different, in a different kind of way. And they, they play it in a relaxed way, in the way that the studios aren't relaxed. And it, I think it's, you, you start to feel Brix's influence in the in the music on this album. And that's one of the main things. Is it, whereas um, everything after Hex is quite self-assured, as in they've made the case, they know they can knock out an album that everybody coos over. But this is much more like, okay, we're going to take on some other genres that we probably sneered at it, you know, a couple of years before, we're now going to take those on it and we're going to build that into our sound. All the stuff up to this point, there are pop elements in it, but I don't think there's any, and there's a bit of sneering at the kind of the, the poppy stuff as well. But there's nothing that I would really call a pop with a capital P song. You know, there's not stuff in there that's going to be on top of the pops that everyone's going to kind of dance along to. That opens up with this album now. I think you've got that change and that that kind of um, ability to have some integrity to what they started out doing, but also to be able to weave in some of that more commercial nose about what sells and kind of what's expected of them from a from a shifting units kind of point of view. Um, so I think you get those two things with this album. Lecky's part of that, but Bricks is probably the bigger part of that, isn't it? And I think Smithy is... One, one thing that I think we've said right from the start of all these podcasts is the fact that Smith pretty much turns up as a finished product. There's not much that changes in terms of his ability to be innovative and creative with music and words and, and all that kind of stuff. He's pretty much the, 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 the finished article from right from day one. But there is something that slightly changes on this album where he's more comfortable. There's bits of this... There's bits of his delivery on some of these songs that I would say if it happened nowadays, he'd get lumped in with hip hop rather than punk. I think he he starts to play around with, and I, I just put it down to his comfortableness with his own style and the fact that he's made the case of yeah he is he's you know got all this integrity and you know he's an artistic with capital A kind of character, but um, he starts to get a bit um, what's the right word? It's not funky or groovy or, or, or those guys, but it's something like that. It's something comparable to those terms where he's a bit more relaxed in his delivery um, and, and that kind of more rapping, as we would call it nowadays, rather than what he calls the crap rap type stuff. Um, where it, it, That's more like kind of slam poetry, isn't it, in the early days? Whereas in this, dare I say he's actually singing a bit? rather than just doing these vocal performances. So I, I think, it, again, it's a really interesting album for that point of view, but it's, it's kind of the foreshadowing of things to come, isn't it? Yeah, he he turned up fully formed, but with the ability to adapt and change to any changes that happened around him, which is remarkable, really, no matter what the music was that was going underneath him. That's kind of why I said a few times, as ridiculous it might sound, Miles Davis, because Miles Davis is... The music changed so much over the course of his 50 years, but he was able to adapt to to it always and, and make his sound central to that. And Smith was always able to do that. I think Bricks turned up at a perfect time. As good as Perverted by Language was, I really wonder what would have happened had there been another few albums like that? Did they have it in them to reinvent themselves without something major like Bricks coming along? She was the perfect shake-up at the right time. And this album's 
still scrappy. It's the next one where they pulled it together, where the real change happens, like you say. But the change is already there. You can you can smell it. It smells real sweet. Ezra, what's your take on the WNF? Yeah, it's um, again, it's great. It's incredible that you know we've got up to uh, when was it released? Nineteen eighty-five or so from seventies, and basically what we've got is a band or a group, I should say, that have not released anything that I would call out-and-out crap. You know, there's there's stuff that I prefer over other stuff, but it's all excellent, and at the end of the day, I'd listen to any of it. Uh, I always kind of tried to avoid this period when I first got into the fall because I just didn't like the sound of John Leckie producing them. The only thing I knew about John Leckie was Manic Street Preachers, and if there's one thing I don't like, it's a Manic Street Preachers. Um, but yeah, getting to know this album, it, it's a big treat. I think something that's interesting to me is that the vocals become comparatively buried in the mix. Uh, you know, like they're, they're never the easiest things to uh, decode, of course, this is the fall. But, you know, like Hex Induction Hour and Room to Live quite a lot of that is audible to my ear um whereas very little comparatively of wonderful and frightening world i can decode which is an interesting thing because given the fact that they've got this more kind of polished sound and all the rest of it why are the vocals getting getting a bit lost in there he's he, you still get the presence of course do you think that's Lecky trying to take some of the barbarousness away from Smithy's delivery style to try and make them more smooth as a as a listening experience? I wonder. I wonder. I I I, I don't think that Marky e. Smith would seed ground. I mean, of course, I guess Lecky was considerably, maybe considerably, maybe around ten years older than than himself. So maybe that might have been a part of it. But yeah, I don't know. But as an album, it's great. I'm a big fan of the track Lay of the Land, which I saw on TV. And I think that was on the old Grey Whistle test, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, is that the one where the dancers are on? So I remember seeing dancers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I watched that, that with my mum, and she gave it her stamp of approval as well. So, you know, if you want to wow my mum, play some Lay of the Land. I'll bear that in mind. Should I ever call Ryan for tea? Please do. Right, chaps, anything else more to add to uh, the discussion on the wonderful Friday before I go to our good friend, Jonathan Peel? This kind of format's going to get very difficult to do for some of the later on ones, the ones that we're not as familiar with. Uh, so that'll be a bit of a challenge for us all, won't it? It'd be interesting to see when when we're, I mean, we're not starting from scratch by any means, but bear in mind, Al, by the time we get to those, we'll have, we'll have been through the first round of the draft and we'll have listened to every single song. No. <laughs> in detail so did you notice by the way that um, the beginning of smile is very similar to the beginning of sy- systematic abuse that's where it all went wrong exactly i do i do like the way he says armageddon on layer the long armageddon <laughs> yeah those are that's a those are apparently References to the Quatermass show that had just been on the John Mills Quatermass, which is a great series. Uh, if you haven't mm-hmm. seen it, um, 
Some great post-apocalyptic stuff happening at the time. Um, uh, no, no Blade of Grass. Have you seen that one? That is a storm. That's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> Zero population growth, no Blade of Grass. Anyway, I digress. Shall we play a little clip from the last one? Because we were supposed to play that before the first one, but we didn't. What does Peel think about this album? Right, for asking Brendan, he says, new band, new sound. I know Briggs is on the last one. He's a very obvious. Lots of mad lives. The production is really good in my opinion. I know it's probably to be doing many things on this, and I think John Lyft is basically doing more problems, which is to dull their impact and make them seem blander than they actually are. Gavin Friday ruined a bunch of songs too, and overall I think they start to trend. It sticks around for quite a few of the bigger albums going forward. They make albums that are worse than the material than they have available. So what he's saying is, if I do in this studio, this is what I would have done. So change the order of the tracks, up the guitars a bit. Thanks, Peel. Only 25 years, 25 years too late with your armchair production. Make your own bloody albums. And on no, that bombshell, we will wrap it up for the evening. So we'll take a couple of weeks off and we will return. A good chunk in there. So have a good rest. Listen to some other rock and roll music. And uh, I'll see you, in the, uh, see you in the bright new world of series three, as you call it. Okay. I think too.